Then put your little hand in mine There ain't no hill or mountain we can't climb And welcome to Groundhog Minute, the podcast where we celebrate the 1993 classic Groundhog Day, one repetitive minute at a time. I'm your host, Dave. And I'm your other host, Sean. And joining us today, we have a special guest all the way from the fantastic Mr. Fox Minute. It's Tyler. Welcome. Howdy, campers. Hey. Welcome. Welcome. Yes. Rise and shine. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Yeah. The cuss you are. Right here. <laughs> cuss am I? <laughs> so we want to welcome you to the show, and we want to let you know that we are here today to talk about Minute 80. Sean, give me that summary. All right. So in Minute 80... Phil finds the old man weak and cold in the alley and takes him to the hospital. And Phil learns the sad truth of death. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's there's, there's not much spin to, to put on it. And this is, uh, yeah, this is heading down a, a, a little bit of a, a dark path here. Phil, as previously said, he is a god because he... He's been able to harm himself and come back and relive this day over and over again. But, you know, as as Rita tried to tell him, he's not a god. And Phil's going to have to learn that lesson from himself or for himself. Are you saying the real god was inside of him all along? <laughs> I, you know, I'm I no comment on the real <laughs> god. I, I well. No, I'll just leave it at that. I'll, I'll, I'll well, I, uh, I can't resist. I can't leave it at that. I'll just have to say we're not going to see the real God in this minute. But listeners, hang on. Bruce we'll Almighty s- minute is that yeah. what you're saying? I, no, I've said too much already. Um, what I will say is, so there originally was another scene. Uh, they didn't film it. It's not a deleted scene on okay. you know on YouTube or on the DVD or Blu-ray or anything. Uh, but originally they were thinking about having another scene with Phil playing the piano. So actually the the soft piano that we hear behind this scene was going to be Phil playing. Uh, and ultimately decided to kind of wait for the big reveal. I guess, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the end of the movie yet. In the end, we see, we'll see Phil play and he plays very well. And they decided just, just to have the jump. We see him practicing where he's very bad. And then nothing, no more piano until the very end when he's very good. So they took out the bit of um, of Phil playing piano to save it to the end. And so we jump straight to straight to this this scene. And so Phil is um, Phil is noticing things. Yeah. Uh, so it is it is part of his growth. He's probably you know he's he's walked past this guy several times in the morning. We've seen him on the street corner, kind of just panhandling, and Phil never, uh, you know, hasn't given him any money. But now he's noticing, yeah, in in the dark of this alley, uh, a guy who a- appears to be need of in need of help. Yeah, I think the way I, I the way I see Phil not only look down the alleyway but come back, it's kind of like if you're walking around your house and all of a sudden you looked in the corner of your room and there was like a Christmas card on the ground, and you're like. Have I not noticed that before? And you kind of you go over and you lean down you, and you pick and you read it and it's like a little note from like some relative you forgot. Like, oh yeah, like I, I remember a couple years ago where she, she wrote this and it's one of those things where it's like a little gem that was always there. You just never noticed it. That's how I see it when he sees the old man. He's like, I, I'm talking, he goes, he goes, I'm talking so much about my godhood. I'm talking about how much I know things and how much I'm improving. And I, I don't even, I, I forgot about this guy. You know, like I forgot as soon as I leave him in the, in, in the corner right before Ned, I forgot immediately about him. That's you know, how I see it as. If only the rest of the world viewed the homeless as as you do. Yeah, I mean, that I guess it, it's it's yeah, it's one of those things where you're you know you go, oh man, like you know this guy's gonna bother me or something. Like that. That's how like a lot of us can see it when we're like being busy in our lives. But it's like with this, you know, when you repeat the day and day, there's some he's got nothing to fear. Like, worst case scenario, if this old man was armed and, and shot Phil, it doesn't matter. Phil will wake up the next day and he'll know that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a worst case if this if he was if he was deranged and he shot him. But, you know, for Phil is, is, is virtually invincible. And, you know, he sees this alleyway and this man is something he's like, yeah, it's one thing I've not, I haven't noticed. I haven't um, 
learned from you know he's been learning his poetry he's been learning his music he's been learning to like listen to people and rather rather than abuse and use them so uh you know it's kind of like it's you know, i'm not saying i don't want to compare him to that but you know it's kind of like it's kind of like in uh like with pb herman when he <laughs> and uh when he when he runs into the 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 and uh, i think it's uh, his big adventure when he runs into the animal store he's yeah, scared oh, yeah. of the snakes he's scared of the snakes yeah. So he goes, I don't want to deal with the snakes yet. And he gets the puppies. He gets the kittens. He gets, and he starts getting like every other animal. He keeps looking at the snakes. And he finally is like, I have to save these snakes. And he just runs out just screaming all these snakes and then passes out from it. So for, for it. Phil, it's like, yeah. I gotta, I gotta handle, I gotta talk to this guy. I gotta, I gotta help him. Like he's like, I, I, I can't, I know I'm now, I've now plateaued as a person improving if I don't, if I don't interact with this guy and, and, and see how I can make his day better. I think that's an interesting comparison. I think that scene in Pee-wee's Big Adventure is a good example of uh, the pettiness of childhood, but also the the inherent good of a child that Pee-wee represents. And uh, Phil is just, in this point of the movie, is just coming around to that inherent goodness that we mm-hmm. haven't seen before. Yeah. 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 And so there was an it, 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 one of the interesting lines when Phil first approaches the man in the alley. He says, remember me. And the old man kind of nods like, he he does remember him now we this the the minute w- or the scene where phil hands over he just kind of pulls out a wad of cash and he starts counting and then finally just hands over the the whole wad over to to the old man that was um that was a week or so ago that was that was a few minutes ago yeah but at least by my count that it's been 3 days like we've seen phil kind of wake up and and in in the in the knob and do other things to indicate like days have passed since then. So is he doing that? Is he like doing that every you know every morning on his way? That's kind of part of his routine. He's kind of giving this guy some cash every morning, yeah. and then this is maybe just the first time that he's seen him around town. After that, I like think, why? Yeah. So no, sorry, no. I thought I was thinking he was. I'm gonna say use the word using the man. But I think what he would do is, imp- I think he was, imp- he would only see him in the morning. I don't think he would think about the man later. But I think it started with giving him cash, and then it would start to, he would go, hey, you want something to eat? And he would like, come on, let's go. And he would grab by his shoulder. He's like, let's go to the, let's go to the cafe. And that's, in my mind, I think he would like improve, and he would see, and go, hey, Ned, how you doing? Maybe Ned would like, you know, Ned would get a little creeped out by like the, the homeless guy, and mm-hmm. just kind of pass on by. And so... Because he knows he can't really make a sale when it's like Phil's doing something charitable like that. And then Phil would walk into the Tip Top Diner. He would sit, them, sit at the man at the county. He would put like 50 bucks and say, hey, give him a coffee and then some eggs. And, uh, you know, and like, and then he tells the guy, you can keep the rest and give her, give her 10 bucks and you keep the rest or something like that, you know? Some kind of thing like, hey, everybody wins here. And then, you know, he would grab two coffees and leave to go see Larry and Rita. That's in my mind, like what he would do in the morning. Because it's like, this guy I don't really want to talk with Ned, but I got nothing against Ned, and I know he's trying to make a sale. But I want, but I'll, I'll get the guy breakfast every morning. So like the old man doesn't, you know, cold. You know, he gets the, gets the guy settled, and I think that's what happens. He leaves him at the diner or wherever. He leaves, you know gives him a street corner, gives him breakfast food and some cash, and then he moves on. That's how mm-hmm. I see Phil. He does it every morning. It's like that's like a ritual that he gets excited to do. You know, see, helping the old guy really makes it worth getting up in the morning before he sees Rita and Larry. Yeah, yeah, I, I can I can see that. I think that makes a lot of sense. I I've always, I've actually always wondered about that because in the scene in minute eighty, it's him later in the day at night. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me that he would always come find the old man at night, and then the fa- the idea that he could start helping him in the morning seems to me like it's still like before Phil's idea. Like he had never thought of that before that he could go see him in the morning because we don't really see him going to help him in the morning. No, it's true. I mean, we're, we're going to see him, like, you know, get the guy fed soup and everything. And that's, that's, but I always, in my mind, thought, like, he do, you know, get, yeah, maybe it is. Maybe he just gives him the cash or maybe he gives him cash. Just, hey, you want me, should I get you coffee or something? And he just moves along. Says, hey, the guy gets a smile on his face and he moves along and he doesn't think about the guy for the rest of the day. He never really sees where the guy goes because Phil's off doing piano or reading poetry or something. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the tricky things about. <clears throat> about the the way this movie is structured and I was thinking about this today it's 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 an interesting twist on the unreliable narrator in that I mean I think what we're seeing is real I think 
you know, we, we do have an objective third person camera that's capturing reality, uh-huh. but we're still deceived in terms of kind of, yeah, the, the timing is, is this the first time, the second, the, the hundredth time something has happened and, and the way they show it in the movie, Phil first starts acknowledging, really acknowledging this man in the morning as he's walking past him on the way to Gobbler's Knob, but it, it may have flipped around where first he you know first he sees him stumbling and um dying or, or whatever later in the day and then he makes the connection oh i've been ignoring this guy every morning maybe i should start paying attention to him earlier in the day and so then maybe the end of the day is you know turns out better and that's when he starts giving him money and you know buying him breakfast when he's picking up coffee and pastries for the crew and and those kind of things where we're not yeah we we're, we we can't be 100% certain what order things things are happening here i yeah i don't want to get ahead of our minute i really don't but we know that there is a scene where he gives him a lot of soup and 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 mm-hmm. and tea and we'll get to that eventually but in my mind i was thinking the reason he does that as like he treats right now in his mind, he's treating the old man, trying to fix the old man the same way he was trying to fix up with Rita. I'll give her things, you know. Oh, mm-hmm. it, oh, you just want more food to eat. You want more snacks to eat. You want to hear more poetry. It's like no, like they, he's this man's really just old and sick. Like he's just old. There's like you can't. There's only so much you know uh, soup and, uh, and 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 turkey you can give the guy. That's how I see it. As at least that's how Phil is first starting to try and fix the old man. Yeah. When I see you, and, and part of the lesson is to, to, to make more of a connection. You can't just, it's not just about throwing money at someone or mm-hmm. passing them off. And I guess, I guess dying in a hospital is better than dying alone in an alley, but it's not, Phil isn't really, he's not invested yet just to bring the guy to hospital. It's better than nothing, but it's not he's not giving of of himself it's not personal yet but yeah. it it will become i think well is this the first thing we've seen phil do that's completely selfless i i would say yes yeah he's yeah usually everything else we right at this point he's doing nice things but it's nice things for his uh for his his learning ability not nice for the sake maybe yeah, coffee, pastry, talking to Larry, maybe it's kind of just like learning things. But yeah, I, I would say this is really selfless. Yeah, but well, because one of the things that one of the, like the kind of the, the the cynical side, the little devil, the cynical devil on my shoulder is saying a lot of the things that Phil does, Rita's going to see. And he could be doing it to impress Rita indirectly. You know, being yeah. nice to Larry mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You know, Rita sees him being nice to Larry, then she'll start to think he's not so much of a jerk and that kind of thing. Where this is, yeah, Larry and Rita, you know, there's no way, or particularly Rita, she's not going to see this. She's not going to know about this. This is definitely not about trying to impress her. This is not about making himself more attractive to someone that he can seduce or date or or whatever. Yeah, this may be uh yeah, I think this is the first thing that we can unequivocally say like this is this is he's starting to be selfless. Um with with no yeah, with with no possible ul- ulterior motive. And again, as we you know one of the things I've been stressing and one of the things that one of my takeaways from the movie is that this is not Scrooge. This is not the Christmas Carol tale. No ghost came down and told Phil you know, if you do this, you're going to have a happy ending. Mm-hmm. So even just in terms of, well, is he trying to be good just to get out of Punxsutawney, to get out of this loop? There's no assurances. No one has told him how to break this curse. So if he is being good, you know, if he's truly being good, then I yeah, then I think we can chalk it up to him really being good. And I think this is a this is a good thing that he's, he's trying to do. He's trying to to help this guy. I have a question, though. Mm hmm. What do you guys make of him referring to the old man as father? Yeah, see, I, yeah. I, I've been thinking about this too, and, I, and, and, and I, behind the scenes, I've been talking to Sean about that. I, I'll bring it up later and everything, but I, I do think it's, it's, I think, I think it has something to do secretly with maybe how Phil's father 
passed. I think maybe Phil was in the room when his father died. I I, I like to think that that's like a that's like a, there's no I have no no evidence behind it other than like he talked about like you know the lessons that you learn on when he was driving the railroad tracks. He he brings up like you know stand up straight, take it like a man. So I'm thinking his father dictate a lot of things to him. So I'm thinking that maybe that left an impression. And then he watches his, his father die in front of him. Maybe in a hospital. I'm not, you know, maybe just, you know, of heart attack somewhere on the street. Like I said, I got no evidence, but that's how I see it as, uh, as pop. I don't know. Was, as I said, was ever that ever like a term yet called all the guys, uh, pop. You, you would call him pop or, but you wouldn't call him father. That's what you would call like a priest. Yeah. Yeah. My thought is maybe he calls him father because he sees the old man as an as an extension of himself, and if he, if he can save this old man, then maybe Phil himself can be saved. Oh yeah, that's that's yeah, yeah it's definitely good. Yeah, I mean the fact that this old man really has almost no relation to this town. He's never, you know, he's the old man doesn't show up at a Groundhog Festival. He's not wearing a Groundhog Day shirt. He could literally just be an old homeless guy in any town. No one really talks interacts with him you know and so the same thing it's sad when this guy dies no one notices yeah and i i think i think one of the early mornings as phil's passing him it kind of looks like someone might be reaching another pocket that they they might be handing him some money but we, we you know we don't see the end of that we you know i can't confirm that that someone actually helps him and that's you know, that's the closest we see to anyone other than Phil even acknowledging that this guy's this guy exists. I think there is something something to it. Um, now, if we want to continue to read into Phil's character, he actually calls Mrs. Lancaster mom at one point. There's that that early scene the on the first day after he tries to take a shower and there's yep. you know, and it's just freezing cold water. And he gives her a sarcastic. The, the line is, he goes, "Yo, mom, isn't there any hot water?" Mm. And then it wouldn't uh, be today. Yeah. Oh no, wouldn't be today. <laughs> so you know, I, there's maybe he's just. It's kind of a familiar thing, of uh, yeah. You know, he, he calls old people. You know, he. he eh. I know it's 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 not that he's comfortable enough. It, it well at least it you know so in the beginning I think it's a it's a sarcastic just pointing out that she's old. Yeah. Whereas now I feel it, it is more of a identification thing. And I think, yeah, I think, I think you're both onto something that into, into a certain extent, there's something that happened with his father. Maybe he wasn't around, you know, Phil wasn't around when his father got old and, and, and needed help from family. Maybe Phil feels like he wasn't there enough for his father. And, and maybe that goes back to, well, his father wasn't there for him. So he just, perpetuated the cycle and now he wants to you know work out some of that and then and then yeah some of it would be yeah identification of like well this could be this could be me if i'm you know i'm not aging at this point but who knows how long that's gonna last if i'm stuck in this town long enough i could you know yeah i could turn into this guy mm. yeah and and speaking of this guy we we should we should point out who this guy is the the actor is um uh les podwell uh, you know, and doesn't and, and a great performance, a very emotional performance with no dialogue. Yeah, the 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 old man has has no lines. It's just his expression. Um, you know, we see the smile on his face when the when the when the the, the hot open turkey sandwich uh, shows up. I think the next minute or in a couple minutes. But he's got he doesn't have a ton of credits at IMDb because that's just TV movie stuff. He's got about like twenty credits, eighties and nineties. But he's an old stage actor. Uh, going back to, I, I haven't found, I wasn't able to find uh, like a complete listing of, of everything, but I do uh, in his, in an obituary printed in the Chicago Tribune and, and um, Mr. Podwell passed in 1998 at the age of 91. But uh, the obituary references a career spanning 70 years and more than a hundred productions. So he was quite an accomplished stage actor oh. and actually did and, and did a bit of radio too back in the you know pre TV and the radio drama days. So did a, a fair bit of radio acting as well, which I think is kind of funny because here he, he doesn't say anything. At least that's the perfect mm. part for radio. Um but you know, really an, an accomplished actor and, and um Ramus doesn't go too much into it in 
in the director's commentary on the Blu-ray, but he does say it was just a, it was a pleasure to get to work with, with uh, Mr. Podewell, you know, just even if it was for this, this little bit. So, so speaking of stage work, <laughs> uh, how's that for a segue? That's good. Um, I like it. And I think, I don't know, is that a, I think it's, it, it's common enough. It may be a, a podcast rule that when you segue, you have to say, how about, how's that for a segue? You have to let the listeners know. If you you have to let the listeners know. Cause I don't want to, you know, we don't want to surprise you. You may be driving while you're listening yeah. and you're running on the treadmill at the, yeah. at the gym. Could and I don't want you segue. to, I don't want you, you could be on a segue. Yeah. And hey. I don't want you to hurt yourself getting surprised by the, yeah. the segue. Stay hydrated and take it easy. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, here's um, the next, here's the next topic. So, yeah, so now that you're prepared, you've you've braced yourself. One of the reasons we asked uh, Tyler to, to, to swing on by is you've seen the Groundhog Day musical, the stage production. Indeed, I'm one of the few, seeing as it's no longer running. I would imagine that not many saw it. Yeah, we, it ran, well, less than a year, and it seemed, I don't know, it. I don't think it won any Tonys, but it was it, nominated in a few categories. It seemed to get some not good win reviews. A, did not win any Tonys, but Andy Carl, the played Phil was nominated for lead actor he was nominated. Danny Rubin was nominated for best book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think Tim Minchin was nominated for the Tony, but he was nominated for the Olivier. Uh, Andy Carl did win the Olivier for best actor and it did. And the play won best new musical in the Olivier's, oh, shoot. which I think is the British Tony's. Oh, that's classy over there. Yeah. So that's even better. Is that like, is that, are we comparing it to like Sir Lawrence Olivier? Is that why it's called that? Yep. Holy stromboli. Yeah, so we can say empirically, Andy Carl is as good an actor as Laurence Olivier. There you go. You heard it here first. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I'd be happy to go on a little rant about the Groundhog Day musical for you guys. Yeah, so, uh, you know, David. Yeah, I mean, we didn't get a chance. I was hoping. Well, I didn't. uh, Yeah, I didn't get a chance to, to see it on Broadway. And then after it was canceled, the the touring the national touring company, you know, the, the, the tour of that was canceled as well. So yeah, if you could tell us a little bit about it, maybe compare and contrast, how does it, how did it stand up to the, to the movie? Were you, were you moved? Were you entertained? So yeah, I'll jump right into this. So yeah. Groundhog Day, the musical, uh, directed by Matthew Warkis, I'm guessing, uh, book also by Danny Rubin, who did the, uh, non-musical, uh, lines and, uh, music by, Brilliant comedian and musician Tim Minchin, mm-hmm. one of my all-time favorites, who also did the music for Matilda, which was ri- which was a based on a book written by Rule Dahl, which was who is the author of Fantastic Mr. Fox, who does the book that I did my movie on. <laughs> it's so all I connected. had my little. <laughs> it's all connected. connected. Not to mention that Bill Murray is in both of our movies, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> yes. So yeah, Groundhog Day the musical. I might say that I like the musical better than the movie. So uh, bear with me here. Okay, yeah. I, okay. I, I do love the movie, but uh, just the musical, it, it, to quote Larry, uh, it touches me. And things I love about the musical, obviously uh, the music is so beautiful. Tim Minchin, like I said, it was the perfect choice. And uh, Danny Rubin actually had this on hold until Tim Minchin uh, called him and asked him about it because he was interested. Uh, but Tim mentioned such a beautiful combination of humor, wit, but also sadness and emotion and real uh, the real serious tone that Groundhog Day can bring and satire and uh, just a pure silliness that really is found in the movie and the musical very well. I guess I'll start. So what we have in this minute is the old man dying. And uh, one of the great scenes in the musical is uh, this this very scene of Phil trying to save the old man. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a, it's almost a montage. The play has a, a rotating stage. Ooh. So it, it has it has the effect of a montage where we see Phil trying to save the old man. And it, this it's all done to the to the singing of uh, Ned uh, singing the song Night Will Come. And Ned uh, singing the song Night Will Come, is a, it's about, it's a metaphor of a, of a man running towards the setting sun. Uh, the lyrics go uh, on and on and on. You stumble on 
towards the fading sun. Turn a blind eye, fight or run. Rest assured the night will come. As if to say, you can try all you want, but death is going to come. And that's kind of the lesson Phil's learning in this scene is you have to accept death at some point and accept that not everything's going to work out okay. Even with all the power in the world, it's not it's not all going to work. And uh, there's a brilliant line at the end of the song because uh, Ned is an insurance salesman. And in the beginning, when you're introduced to Ned, he's, he has a little like musical jingle where he says, you got to love life. You got to love life. You got to love life insurance. And it's all musical. <laughs> and at the end of Night Will Come, Ned just says, you got to love life. You got to love life. And he leaves you hanging, waiting for the insurance, but he never says it. Mm. He just says, you got to love life. And that that's a carpe diem moment. If I'd never seen it. Yeah. One of the things I like, I, so I haven't seen the musical, but I did get, I do have the, um, you know, the original uh, cast recording. I have the soundtrack and I've listened to it. And the impression I get is one of the things they do is give you more, they expand more on those side characters. And in particular, I'm thinking of there's a, Nancy has a song where, you know, you know, she just uh, one of the things she one of the things is, you know, she's you know, she wants kind of more of a life and more stability. And she's tired of one night stands and of getting fooled by guys like Phil and, and stuff like that. And um, I think maybe some of that is probably just a practical thing, whereas you can have a, a movie really carried by a single character. We can focus on one character because a movie's going to be filmed over a, over a long period of time, over several months. So. Bill Murray has time to rest between takes and, and so forth, so, but he can be in every scene and and kind of carry it. Whereas with with a musical or, or any kind of stage production, uh, you don't get rest between scenes <laughs> or between you know between quote unquote takes unless another character steps up and, and carries the scene. So um, I know particularly, yeah, we hear more from Ned. And like Nancy has a, her own little song, so we get more in, into that character. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, it, some of that might be just yeah, you know, practicalities of a stage production. But I think it yeah it does give a more rounded story than than the movie that is just about Phil. Totally, and uh, the Nancy song is actually really interesting because it's the so- it's the first song in the second act of the play, and it's actually a meta song. It's the it's the actress singing about playing Nancy. Mm-hmm. And so, so something weird in musicals that they do is like the first song in the second act is kind of a nothing song in case people are still getting to their seats. Right. Yeah. So it has no significance to the plot, but it, as you said, it's a brilliant song in terms of expanding that character. Who, yeah, the original film it is a little sexist in that way that we only see Nancy as an object. Yeah. Uh. And uh, as you're saying, expanding on the supporting cast, the entire since the whole cast of the musical is that much stronger, it reinforces the idea that the town is what makes Phil a better person, and that he's he's he can only be a good person if he helps the lives of those around him. Mm-hmm. And in the in the musical, each each kind of side character has their own little arc that is helped by Phil. Uh, for example, uh, the police chief has a broken gun holster and at the end of at the end of the play phil knows to buy him a new gun holster and uh there's one lady who wants to learn how to sing and phil helps him phil helps her learn how to sing and it's all these little beats that we little like hints that we get throughout the whole musical that all leads up to the climax where phil is really helping everyone yeah because in the you know in in the end in in the climax of the movie we see well, we, we see Phil go through sort of like the perfect day at the end where he helps all these people, but we don't really see the the effect on their lives. We just see them, oh, they they kind of line up and they're all coming up to Phil at the, the big groundhog ball at the end and thanking him. Mm-hmm. And But yeah, we're just kind of, we're following Phil around. We're seeing it sort of in, in his world, but we're not seeing as much of, other than them thanking him, how has their lives been changed? How has he touched them? We don't get into it too much. Yeah, and I wanted to add one more thing about Ned. Uh, before he sings the song "Night Will Come," we actually learn that uh, Ned is a widower, and uh, his wife has died, 
and Phil and Ned have a moment of sadness about that and they really get have a moment of closeness that I don't think we ever get in the movie because Ned's always kind of played for comedy but that in this moment in the in the play you really get this really strong bond over such a sad occurrence yeah I mean we get there are some more serious moments in the movie (laughs) obviously this minute is one of them but we we don't get any of those with Ned unfortunately Um, yeah so it does sound like in in some ways um, I mean, I'll, I'll reserve judgment in terms of which I prefer the, you know, wait, I'll wait till I see it. Um, if I, hopefully someday I will get a chance, um, you know, whether I prefer the, the musical or, or the movie, but, um, but I think you've made a compelling case that, you know, that at least I, I can't argue if you say that you prefer the musical, cause it sounds very good. Yeah. And, uh, just one more thing, uh, well, I'll, I'll give you this conceit about the film. Um, the film has the advantage of editing. Mm-hmm. Uh, most most viewers of film understand that when you see an edit, time has passed. And what Groundhog Day, the movie, does really well is you understand any time an edit has happened, uh, the scene that comes to mind is Phil ordering Rita a drink over and over again. Yeah. We're able to understand through the power of editing that time has passed and he's learning every time more and more. The musical can't do that. Every time the time passes in the musical, we, they have to like dim the lights and play a talk, a clock ticking and talking, it's so that we know that time is passing. So it doesn't work as well in the musical in that regard. But uh, the one, the one last thing before I get into like the little jokes in the musical that I think would be worth re- referencing to you guys, uh, the one last thing I wanted to push on you guys in terms of the musical is Rita, because Rita almost becomes. Uh, equal to Phil in the musical. Uh, of course, Rita in the movie is Andy McDowell, the mm-hmm. much maligned. But in the okay. musical, Rita is uh, played brilliantly. Uh, and she has her own song that's the end of the, the first act uh, called One Day, in which we realize that Rita is an optimist about everything except men, and that uh, that's makes... Phil, uh, not seducing her, but trying to make her fall in love with him, even that makes that task even harder for him. But as Phil said, like, gosh, you're an upbeat lady. That's still true in the musical. And we actually see that played out. We see her character grow over the course of the musical, which is very challenging because she's only living one day over and over again. Mm -hmm. But for you to still feel that growth of a character and have it only be played like one day at a time is really brilliant. Yeah. Wow. Now I, would really like to see that because one of, one of my very few complaints about the movie is not about Andy McDowell. I think she's great. <laughs> Although I, I have no idea the the people that don't like Andy are nuts. I don't understand it, but if I can give a quick YouTube <laughs> suggestion. There's a video made by Daniel O'Brien called "Why Were the '90s So Mean to Andy McDowell?" I give, suggest giving that a watch. Okay, yeah, we'll 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 put a link to that on the the website as well. But uh, but was, but I, that I don't have necessarily the same love for the character of Rita uh, or the way she's written. And part of it is, yeah, it's the same day over and over again. So all the all the things that we see her go through she doesn't remember like she hasn't experienced and so it doesn't kind of really make sense because all she's seen so she meets this guy phil he's a jerk they take a two-hour van ride to punxsutawney he does he does a great job a very inspiring job but you know in the the morning of with the groundhog he gives his his checkoff speech and long and lustrous winter and it disappears for the day, and then suddenly they get together at the banquet, and suddenly she's in love with them. It's like, wait, wait a second, you know, it, yeah. it, it doesn't really jive um, when you look too closely, which is what we do here. But uh, yeah, I, I would like to see that if the musical. I didn't pick up. I know I didn't pick up as much of that from from the soundtrack, but I would like to see it if if we get to see a little bit more kind of natural growth from her. I think I think the one thing obviously that the musical has going for it is it can become what's the word I'm looking for it can become a commentary on what the things that were missing from the movie 
like years have passed that people what they love and what they don't love about the movie the musical could come along and say all right we're going to address those things so we're not just a carbon copy of the movie we get to you know the what do you like oh we wanted more about nancy and rita because it seemed kind of like you know just the thing you know, all right good point we're going to do it sorry about that we want Ned to be more than just a comic relief. Okay, we're going to mm-hmm. definitely hit. And I think that's what makes it, obviously, all the more better for it. Um, because I'm trying to think, like, I, I'm, I'm sure there's been other adaptations that have taken years between, and, like, one's done something different. Like, it's kind of like a good, like, I mean, we're, we're in a movie business here. It's like a good movie reboot, you know? Where it's not just a cheesy one where it's, like, PG-13, how many people can get in the seats on first weekend, and that's it. It's like they took a theory that was danced around in the original movie, and like when they reboot it, they make it that more of an interesting focus. Like, I, I, I can give you an example of uh, the updating it for modern times. Please, yeah. Uh, so, who's the uh, waiter in the diner who Phil reveals to be gay? It's just Tom. It's Tom or Tim. Bill. 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 It's Bill. It's Bill. Bill. Okay, so yeah, in the in the film, that's played for a joke, right? that oh phil knows he's gay like and that's funny because why would a man be gay ha 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 right right? yeah i'm i'm exaggerating a little bit but in the in the musical they have a a great uh subversion of your expectations because uh phil's instead it's it's the police chief's son and phil says uh he's gay and he always bets against the eagles and the police chief goes oh bill against the eagles and you're like <laughs> okay okay i see what you did there you you turned what 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 could have been a a poor joke and you you took our expectations and you made a joke out of it and so i that's something i really appreciate about the the musical that we do get something like that yeah although it, it yeah although it, in this in this neck of the woods i think they're more likely to be, be Steeler fans yeah yeah. Yeah. I, again, uh, we, we have no idea what Danny Rubin and Tim Minchin were thinking. Yeah. I mean, Steelers makes more sense because it's like, like, we just won a Super Bowl. Like, we've been the underdogs. Like, Ben against us was yeah. probably smart for the last decade. But Ben's the Steelers, <laughs> they got, like, what, four rings? Right. Well, I mean, no, I just, I mean, I understand the no, joke. I'm just it's doing like, the oh. math here. Like they're trash people, <laughs> but they have four rings. So you, like, well, no, but the, the, the they're like the, the Patriots fans. They're trash people, but they met hey, the, excuse me, trash excuse people, me. <laughs> but they have rings. You're not an saying. Eagles fan, are you? I'm a so, Patriots fan. Okay. Yeah. I live, I live in New Hampshire guys. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a Patriots fan as well. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I can't, you know, I, I'm, I'm used to the talk. I just can't hear it with the, you know all those rings in my ears. I can't hear all the complaints. But, <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, my but, but the, I mean the Eagles won recently, but the the musical had already been canceled by that point. I'm just I'm just saying geographically they're closer to Pittsburgh than they are to Philadelphia. Yes. Yes, but you can be a fan of any sports team no matter where you are. Yes, that's also true. It, they could have used to live in Philadelphia and then they moved to Punxsutawney. Yeah. Well, and I guess in in, in well, though, didn't it started in? I wonder if they changed that because I think didn't they? It was staged first in London before yeah. it came to New York. I know the New York crowd would like Eagles, big anti-Eagle folks there with the New York Giants, so they'd like the Eagle lines more than the Steelers. So I don't <laughs> he's know. gay and he always bets against Manchester City. Yeah, just wondering <laughs> if they if they twisted, you know, if they kind of just fill in the line for the local sports teams wherever they're they're staging the production. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's good. Uh, do you want me to run you guys through a couple other uh, in, uh, jokes in the in the musical? Let's see, I'll see what you guys think. Okay. Not joke. I'm not just going to lift off jokes, but uh, I'll, I, I, there's one that I really want to go go go. Let's do a couple. We're running a little bit long. Let's see if you can kind of yeah. hit the highlights, and we won't. Right, you know. I'll, I'll just, yeah, it'll just be the one. It'll just be the one. Okay. okay. In in a, one song, Phil says he slept with ninety percent of women between eighteen and eighty-four, and one dude when he was bored. <laughs> and I just want to ask you guys, who was the one dude? Uh, well, I mean, I have to use the I have to use the movie actors. I don't know if they introduce new right. characters. So I've got I've got someone in mind. I wonder if 
if Dave's going to say the same character. All right, let's say it at the same time. Three, two, one. Fridge Craig. Craig. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Fringe, the, the guy with the, the, the fringe, the leather fringe on his jacket. Yeah, who I've, I've been calling Craig because he reminds me of a, a guy I know, my friend Craig, who would wear that kind of fringe jacket. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because Craig looks like, you know, one of those. Dude, Craig's cool. Yeah, but he's just like a free spirit. He's not, you know, he's not even bisexual. He's just, he's open to any kind of pleasure, any kind of experience. So, yeah, sure. Uh. Like, he'd be the guy afterwards smoking a cigarette and be like, yo, man, that was a cool ice sculpture. (laughs) And you're like, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. So I didn't, I don't, I don't want to give, you know, I don't want to do too much about the musical because, again, I'm, I'm hoping um, it gets revived and there is a, a national tour. Maybe they make a movie out of it the way, I mean, you had, uh, you know, the, the producers, producers. Yeah. you had um, Little Shop of Horrors. I mean, there's kind of a, a, a track record of, of movies becoming musicals that then become movies again. So I'll hold out hope. So I think you've given us enough that I'll, you know, kind of wet the whistle and make people want to see it. And the groundswell will start building, but not not give away too much that people feel they don't need to see it anymore. Yeah. Um, so, so bringing it back to the the movie, the 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 silver screen. So, any anything else on minute eighty? Uh when Phil is in the hospital, is the kid in the background the kid that falls out of the tree? Yes. Yep. Yeah, I was saving that. That was going to be my last note. Okay. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So we, it's. I guess you see it mostly the like the first half of the minute, or like uh, minute like from twenty to thirty seconds. Yeah, the kid in the background, definitely that red jacket. That's the kid we he, yeah. we see him Phil catch later on. Yeah, I, I mean he looks okay. Like even with his broken leg in the wheelchair, it looks like between the smile between the nurse, the mom, and him, you know, he's yeah. not in like critical. Like the leg's gonna get taken off or anything. Like clearly, just like he's got to probably spend like the next month in a cast and he'll be fine. Right, and we know he doesn't die. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, let's well, like, I think I honestly sorry. But I want to say is that, like, since the yeah. movie never shows it, I feel like D- Phil comes up to the kid afterwards. It's kind of like like a consolation thing where it's just like, oh, geez, the old man passed. I can't figure. Hey, what happened? You hurt your leg. And the kid, like, says it. And he's like, what street was that on? You know? Like, what happened? Oh, Around so, 10 a.m. So this morning? reverse engineered it. Yeah. Ah, yeah. And I feel like I think he's, he's like, and he hears that. He's just like, Okay. Well, I hope you get better. And Phil's like, I'm memorizing that. I need to save somebody. Yeah. I'm making sure I save the kid. But yeah. when he says, I want to see his chart, I've never seen a medical chart. I've never seen what it looks like. I assume there's some doctor scribble on it and maybe a few circles of like things that were like joints or something. But I was kind of curious when he says that line. I don't know if Phil at any point so far in this movie has gotten, has done any medical research for like self-improvement. But I definitely feel like after this moment, we don't see it. I feel like he definitely does. Like he like puts down like for like a week or so, he puts down like the 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 poetry books and the music, and he starts looking at like just human things, the anatomy, and like what are some herbal remedies that he could get a hold of in the town. And in my mind, like that's where uh, he's like, okay, soup doesn't work. Um, and he like he goes to like the local pharmacy and he's like grabbing yeah. certain pills. Like he's trying to get vitamins. He's like, he's like, I will force feed these vitamins in his soup if I have to. Like he's not dying today. Like I'm going to figure out a way where I could like make sure he like gets like a warm bed by like night's end. Yeah, well, I kind of feel like at, at the very least, like maybe there's something the doctors found. But they found it too late to do anything about it. So even if Phil doesn't understand what he sees, the next time around, the next day, he can bring bring the old man to the hospital and say, oh, you should look at this. You know, check out yeah. his kidneys or check out it's, his gallbladder. Exactly. And kind of even yeah. without knowing anything, you know, give him a head start. But then also he can go to the library and start doing research and yeah. – and, and so forth. Because yeah, he only has a day. He can't. He can't. Yeah. It has to be quick turnaround remedies. It's got to be put the medicine in him, and this will this will buy him time. You know, um, and he'll know. But it's it's not working. And I and I actually do love this shot. You know, this last the last ten seconds of this shot where it's just they're looking at him. We can't see it. It's almost like we're sitting on the bed. You know, like we're sitting on the yeah. bed and they're looking down at the man. And we can't see him. And I actually the fact that you don't see it, I think it definitely hurts more. 
is that you don't even know what his face looks like. Is he in pain? Is he like, is there a medication? Like, was there a morphine drip that he kind of like, he dozed off quietly, you know, like, you know, did his like, you know, did his face cramp up? It's almost like, it's like, is he okay? Like, did he go peacefully? Like, it's kind of like, it's like you, you want to like, you know, like you want answers. You just want answers like Phil does. It's like, he's officially not in control of this and he, he can't handle that. He can control his poetry lessons. He can control his musical abilities. He can control, you know, how people's days go. when if he says, if he curses them off or says something nice, he's like, he feels control. And then just this, you know, the, the, the God comes down and says, no, in this, in this moment, you got nothing. I, I'm taking this man and he just, he's, he's going to just die. He's just going to die of old age. Yeah. Sometimes people just die. Just die. Yeah. And I love it because the nurse is just, you know, she's not saying immune to it, but she's probably seen the same story. Somebody brings a relative in or a co-worker or something or a friend. And, you know, she says, I'm sorry. Yeah, he just he just died. And uh, she's got to deal with a lot of that. People walking around looking for answers, you know, saying, oh, I'll figure it out. I can figure out what the doctor can't figure out. Well, I actually assumed that she's she's giving him she's lying when she says sometimes people just die because, uh. She intentionally killed him. Jesus! Oh. What was Hello. that? What the oh. hell was that, Tyler? That's why she can't show him his We're chart. about to wrap it up and you're like, oh, yeah, murder mystery. I mercy killed the guy. I put cyanide in his IV. Like, what the hell? Florence Nightingale here. Jesus. I wanted to end it on high note. What was that? That's a high note. That's a paranoid note. Now I gotta, like, how's, yeah, how's that the high note? God, of all the conspiracies that we've discussed in this movie, in this podcast, you had to introduce like a horrible one of like this innocent old man just, just like cringes to death and poison because this nurse just, oh God. Is it not a movie by minute tradition to assume someone murdered someone totally baselessly? Yeah, blame it on Mrs. Lancaster, you know? Or the bartender. God, you know? Or Larry. Larry. I mean, that guy's a creep. Yeah, Ned, you know? Like, somebody. Larry is a creep. Man. Okay. Well, on that happy note. Jesus. Yeah. So, so, Tyler, if our listeners want to hear more of your... Your wacky theories about murder. <laughs> Where can they hear uh, more of you? Well, I wish I could say I have a true crime podcast because that would be more popular. But I actually have a podcast that I do with my sister called Fantastic Mr. Fox Minute, where we analyze Wes Anderson's Fantastic Mr. Fox one minute at a time. Uh, you can find us at uh, – we host our, website, our website through Podbean. So it's uh, the website is amateurnerds.podbean.com. Mm-hmm. And Amateur Nerds is kind of our brand. You can – brand you can tweet at us at amateur nerds on twitter you can tweet at me personally if you want to complain about my theories at uh tyler b-o-u-d-y uh and yeah it's it's been a blast guys i'm sorry for going so long but uh, i really appreciate <laughs> no, I, you guys having I, I me on having you on just yeah you just threw me for a loop right at the end there i kind of <laughs> i still got a little whiplash from that one so Oh, whiplash minute. That'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were, thanks. Thank you for having us. It's been, at least I thought it was really interesting. Hopefully the listeners felt the same. And, and I'm a, I'm a fan of your pat, podcast of the FM, FM there, the fantastic Mr. Fox minute. It's a, it's a, a wonderful, uh, fantastic movie. Just so, <laughs> I mean, visually and, uh, lyrically, the the dialogue, the voice acting. I mean, if, if you haven't seen, you know, the listeners, if you haven't, if you haven't seen Mister Fantastic Mister Fox, what are you doing with your life? Yeah. You got to see this movie. I was going to say, but if you haven't seen it in a long time, it's even better than you remember. It holds up really well. You should watch it again and then listen to the podcast because they're doing a they're doing a great job. I gotta watch. I honestly, I have to watch more Wes Anderson movies. I I was often because. I had a few friends that, like, they wouldn't stop talking about it. So it was, mm-hmm. like, a turn-off. It was, like, you know, cause, and then I would watch it. I would be, I was, like, really, like, 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 like arms folded kind of thing. And slowly, like, you know, like, I got Rushmore. I was, like, okay, I get this. And then I got, like, um, I think I went, like, Rushmore, and I've only watched a Budapest Hotel. So those are the two I've watched. Yeah, yeah. But I was, well, I was, that, like, that was okay. I, I can say, like, you know, I know some folks are not on the Wes Anderson bandwagon. And, and I can I can see that, I think. This is this is different. 
I know. I think I, it's I think it's different than those other movies. Can I tell you, you know, the funniest thing he's ever done? And I know I'm, and I'm insulting him, but I thought his Mastercard commercial was hilarious. <laughs> I have no you idea never, what you're talking about. Okay, okay. I don't. I, I think he did direct it. He. I can't believe this. Okay. I, this is the first time I actually ever saw it. I thought I was laughing in the theater. I used to used to play Mastercard, you know, Mastercard commercials, and mm-hmm. and and a couple of them, several. I think maybe three. There's three or four of them of actual like A-list directors that directed, wrote and directed their own commercials. I swear to God, it has to be because this one is so Wes Anderson. You would think it's an SNL parody of a Wes Anderson, and it starts <laughs> off with they're in front of like a big, a big like uh, English mansion. And uh, a guy drives off in a Lamborghini. Jason Schwartzman puts on his fedora. He goes, "No!" And then he goes, and then you hear, "Bam!" And the camera pans, and the and the cars exploded. And he's like, "No!" And then he goes, he goes, "Wes, is that okay? Should I put the hat on later?" And he's like, "You did great, Jason." And then he starts talking to the audience. He's like, "Hi, I'm Wes Anderson. I make movies." And he's and he's got like a, he's got like a white suit on, like a yellow ascot. And he's talking, and he's going. People are coming up to him and saying, like, "Oh, what should we do with this?" Like, "Oh." What what gun is he holding? Can you give me a three fifty seven Magnum with a bayonet? Yes. Okay. And he talks to us. He's like, I, I got a lot of things. I have to get a lot of things done on these sets. A lot of things that happen. And like, he's like, whose pigeons are these? Are these my pigeons? I just want to need to know. Or like, whose doves are these? Are these my doves? And and then yeah, he it's it's really funny. Look it up. I mean, that's the first time. And I said it's only like maybe ninety nine ninety seven, like forty seconds long. And I was like, this is hilarious. It's so crazy. And I was like, and so that's why I was like, all right, I know he's funny. Like I got, I got friends who are buttheads and they won't shut up about this his movies, <laughs> but I gotta give him a shot because I I can tell he he doesn't half-ass things. So. Well, yeah. So I'll, yeah. Uh, we'll we'll hunt down that commercial. We'll put a link to it up on the website and all that. And thanks so much for the recommendation, Sean. Oh yeah, yeah. And again, if if you're not into you know even if you're not into Wes Anderson films, I think this is just it's 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 one of those things. It's a it's <laughs> I find it a little depressing. Sometimes I see something so good and I'm like, nothing in my life, no, nothing I create will ever be as good as that thing. And it makes me a little bit sad. And and this was one of those movies that was like so good. It made me sad. Yeah. And Fantastic Mr. Fox is some people say like you wouldn't hang, you would hang every frame of the movie up like a picture. Mm-hmm. And Fantastic Mr. Fox is one of the movies where that is literally true, which makes it worth analyzing minute by minute. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's. And, and you're doing that. Oh, it was, Ma- it was American by. Express. It was American Express. My ad. I take it all back. It was American <laughs> But still, really funny. <laughs> and if you guys will stoop to our level, we'd love to have you on. All right. Oh. I'll watch, I will, I will, yeah, I will there clue, you go. I'll, I'll watch the foxes. I'll watch them. I'll watch <laughs> yeah. them be fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely down for that. And we've, we're recording. We've got it on tape. We've got witnesses. So <laughs> now you got to do it. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, so once again, thank you so much, Tyler, for for joining us. I think it's been uh, it's been lots of fun. And for the listeners out there in podcast land, thank thank you for listening. And we will see you tomorrow, if there is one. Let them say your hair's too long. I don't care with you. I-